I had no idea what life was like outside of Columbia, South Carolina. I lived at the exact same spot, almost in the exact same way, just basically playing basketball and whatever else uh, my whole life. Um, But when it was time to start something new, I knew the Lord was saying, hey, it's time to start something new. To step out into an unknown territory, into an unknown place, it meant picking up everything that I knew in Columbia, my entire life that I knew, and, and moving it up here and starting something brand new, kind of entering into this new relationship uh, and this new way of life in this new foreign place that I had no idea um, how to do that. Uh, but I knew he was telling me that. And uh, man, it's been amazing. If there's anything good, and there's plenty of good in my life has come from this. I don't even really remember much of my old life. And I really try not to remember my old life uh, in Columbia. But this new life that the Lord has set out for me in entering this relationship with Leslie and this Young Life staff thing that I had no idea I was going to do and all this, this, and my kids, if there's anything good in my life at all, it only speaks to the faithfulness of God through that. It's God's faithfulness that has brought about anything good in my life. That's it. It's only only his goodness. And so... um, Today, what we're going to do is we're going to continue to look at God's faithfulness. You can see back here in the 10 Scrabble board that we have been looking at the faithfulness of God through all kinds of different situations um, back here. And today, we're going to continue looking at how God is faithful in the move, how God is faithful during change. And we're going to continue looking at Genesis um, so if you have a Bible or if you don't, there's, uh, there's Bibles in the pews there um, for you. Uh, they look like this right here. And we're going to be on page 31. Um, we're going to look at how God is faithful in the move. He's faithful in change. And we're going to keep looking at the story of this guy, Jacob, who had all these sons. If you'll remember, if you don't, I'll, I'll, I'll rehash it real quick for you. Jacob had all these sons. And uh, he had this one, one of his sons was named Joseph, and the other uh, sons got, were kind of jealous of Joseph a little bit. And so one day they took him out. They were super jealous, like the most jealous of Joseph. So one day they took him out, and they um, left him for dead. And they came back, and they lied to their dad, and were like, Joseph was attacked by animals and all this. And he was, I mean, you can imagine how Jacob felt. It was, I mean, heartbroken for the rest of his life about it. But these brothers came back, and they kind of lived this lie. Well, um, a great famine had kind of hit, hit the land there. And so uh, Jacob and his sons and all them, they were in need of food. They were in need of supplies. This is years later. And so they, Jacob sends his sons down to Egypt um, to basically say, hey, we need some supplies. We're, things are running out up here. And when Jacob's sons got to Egypt, they found what they found surprised them, to say the least. This, son, this guy, Joseph, who they had left for dead, their brother, um, had now become basically second in command to Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt. He, he, Pharaoh had put him in charge of all these things, and these brothers, when they got there, through a series of events, found that, that Joseph was now um, in command with Pharaoh, and that he was still alive. It wasn't the, that he was in command what shocked him. I think it was that he was still alive. And you can imagine what happened to them when they found out. You might find out, hey, your brother's alive. You might be like, yes, but their reaction was probably not that at first. Because you can imagine the guilt and the secrets and the shadows and the, that they've been living with for so many years. It was probably shock, and it was. 
And so Joseph, through a kind of series of events, revealed to them who he was and sent them back to his father to say that he was still alive. When the brothers got, when the brothers got back to Jacob, they were like, they were saying, hey, Joseph is still, Joseph's still alive. But he said, no, there's no chance. There's no chance for that. Um, you, you, I think you're lying because that was kind of been their history. <laughs> and so he, uh, Jacob sent them back. And so they kind of were back and forth to Egypt a few times. And finally, Joseph said, I want my family to move here so that I can take care of them. I'm in charge of all of this. I'm in charge of handing out all the food, all the water, everything that people need. I've, I've come in charge of I want my dad and my family and you, brothers, who left me for dead, I want you to move here. Let me take care of you. So he sent chariots and all these supplies and money and all this stuff back to, back to Jacob. And so when the brothers finally went back on the last time, Jacob said this. This is what he says at the end of chapter 45. He said, I am convinced Joseph is still alive. I'll go see him before I die. So Jacob had been there living in that spot for a long time. And what he was about to do, just like me leaving Columbia, but way more so, he was about to pick up everything and move to Egypt. I left Columbia in a, in a GMC Sonoma truck with all of my stuff in the bed of that truck. Like all of it, that's all I took. Jacob was about to pick up his entire family and move down to go see his son that he thought was dead and is now alive. All right, here we go. We're going to jump in. Genesis 46, page 31. We're going to move in. Here we go. So Israel, uh, by the way, Jacob's name was also Israel. If you're wondering what that is, he had two names, not similar to each other. Uh, so Israel took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. I'm going to stop there real quick. I'm going to pause. Beersheba, you might be wondering what that is. That is not the brewery in town, uh, though it could have been. Um, thank you. Drum hit. Um, that's not the brewery in town. No, Beersheba was uh, the hometown. It was the home court. It was the family farm. It was where Be Beersheba was where uh, Jacob's family had been. His dad and his granddad had lived there, and he'd grown up there. And that's where he'd received all the promises, that his family had received all these promises of God. And so Jacob, at the beginning of this move, the first place he goes to is to Beersheba. He returns there, and he went there. Why? Why would he go there? to remember God's faithfulness. See, things were being like uprooted and everything he knew was being lifted up and torn out and he, he just felt loose and unsure. And he thought, I need to go back to where I know God is faithful, where I remember that he is good, to where I remember that he is going to show up. And I'm gonna look back at how he's done that in the past and it's gonna give, it gave him confidence to face the unsureness ahead is remembering that God had shown up before. And so that's why, that's why he went back there. But he was nervous. Big change was happening in his life. Probably not uh, unfamiliar to some of us in this room. There's big change that happens all the time. It's inevitable. I'm a person, like I said, I lived in Columbia 25 years. Uh, the, things were kind of the same, and I kind of wanted them that way. But the inevitable was happening. Change was happening. And I bet you there is change uh, in mine and in some of your lives. Some of that change might look like, hey, you're changing from middle school to high school. You're going from high school to college, from college into the working world. That change from the working world into retirement. Maybe that's kind of how the change is looking in your life. 
Um, you know, there's, there's other ways for change. Um, maybe there's, you're starting a new family. Maybe, maybe that's getting, getting married or having a baby or having your sixth baby or, or whatever. Maybe you're starting a new family. Well, big change is coming when that, when that happens. It's like you were reading a book and like the page turns. It's like, this is new. Brand new, brand new family is starting. Maybe there's some different change going on in your lives. Maybe it's, um, maybe some things in family aren't going that well. Maybe some things in your marriages aren't going that well. And you feel this change on the horizon. Leslie and I look at each other sometimes, and it's like, hey, who are you? I have. I'm not sure who you are in front of me right now. I mean, there are times when it feels that way. It is funny. It, may, it, I'm, it uncomfortably makes me laugh. But there are times where I can look at my best friend in the face and go, I, I'm, not, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure where we are right now. There are real times in my life and in our lives when that happens. And if it happens in my marriage, it's definitely happening in every other relationship where you have to look at change and difficulty in the face. Jacob is looking at change and difficulty, and he's being uprooted. He's uprooting everything and taking it with him. When I moved here, I started working at B.B. Barnes back in the day in 2001. B.B. Barnes is a plant nursery thing. Hey, I, I played basketball. I didn't know anything about a plant. When you, if you ask me when I moved here, like, what's that large, tall thing outside? i be like, that's a tree. What kind of tree? A, a barky, barky tree with tree with bark on it, you know? That's as far as I could go. But when I started working at B.B. Barnes... Um, I was delivering plants, and eventually started installing plants. There's this one crepe myrtle tree, beautiful tree, uh, that I installed. I remember it was one of the first ones. And it was an established tree. It was pretty big. And B.B. Barnes used to be literally right here behind Home Depot. And I went to deliver it, and I planted it. I remember it's in, uh, right by Beaver Lake at this house. It's this big established tree. But it had this huge root ball is what I remember about it. You know, the tree had this huge thing, and they had taken great care, wrapped it in burlap, and they and put, like, stuff on it. See, I still don't really know. They put, like, stuff on it to take care of the roots to promote growth. And we, it was, like, our job to take care of this big tree and this big root ball, really, and to get it into the ground. And then once we went to plant it, we had to dig this huge hole, like, three times the size of this root ball, and then set the tree in there so carefully down and then make it to the right level and then pile all this dirt back around it and then throw all the right fertilizer and hoo-ha back in there that you're supposed to. Like great care was taken for this crepe myrtle to be taken from where it once was and to be planted into a new place. It took so much of us, uh, everything that we paid attention to was not paying attention to what was going on above the ground was not necessarily paying that much attention to the tree that was growing above. Everything, all the attention was paid to the roots. All the attention was paid to what's going on under the surface. What we had to make sure and take care of was the roots because that's what provided nutrients, provided growth. All care was given to the roots. That, and the same is true for us during change. Jacob was going back, went to Beersheba because he needed to take care of his roots. And the root in his life had been the faithfulness of God. The root in his life during the move and during the change was the faithfulness of God. God's faithfulness is the root that grounds our souls. I don't know what you hang on to in the middle of change. 
I'm one of those who gets very afraid and starts running away and distracting myself with whatever else to avoid that the change is actually happening. But the truth of the matter is, as I look back at my life, God's faithfulness is the root that grounds my soul. He's the only thing, he is the only thing that is constant, that is good. I am not good during change. I'm not good really ever. He is the only thing that is good through all of that. Through all the transitions and things that are going on in your life, God's faithfulness is the only thing that is constant. Jacob went back to look at that and remind himself of what is true because he knew that the crazy was coming. He knew it was about to get even more chaotic in this move. All right, that's verse one. <laughs> that's verse one. We got a little ways to go. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right. I know. I know. I've, I've got problems. Okay. Um, uh, but I do want to say this, actually, before I move on, <laughs> I promise I won't go long. Before we, before we move on, I want to say this. Where is that for you? Where, where is your Beersheba? Where do you go back to? Is it a place that you go to where it's easy to kind of remember where God is, where God has been, where he has shown up in your life? Is it a place you go to? Is it um, an event that you remember? How can you look back? Where in your life can you look back and remember God showed up there? I didn't show up there. But God's goodness and God's faithfulness showed up there. I don't know what you do with that place in your life and in your heart. But I encourage you to plant a flag there. Go back and plant a flag. Remember where he showed up. And make a marker there. So that when change and when when the move happens, you can look at it and go, this This is where he is. I know that he is going to be there through the middle of what's going on in my life. Where is that for you? Okay. Here we go. 46, verse 2. I went a little long. All right, verse 2. Here we go. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And then he said, I'm the God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For there I'll make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. God, I love what God said to Jacob. He showed up there to search for God, to remember, where, to remember uh, God's faithfulness. And God showed up and met him there, which he always does. God always shows up when you go to look for him. He's like at the door. He's waiting just, ooh. When you pay attention, when we go to look for him to remember him, he's like, his heart is for you. And he always shows up. But I love what he says. He says, do not be afraid. He called Jacob by his name and he said, do not be afraid. That's like, that's a common thread throughout the Bible. When you hear God talk to people, usually or, usually, or angels or anything, usually his first words are, do not be afraid. There's a reason for that. It's because we're afraid all the time. When change happens and when move happens, we usually meet that with fear. And Jacob was no different here. But God, like in, in Isaiah uh, chapter 41, he said, he said, do not fear for I'm with you. I've called you by name and you are mine. God's beautiful. And then uh, Jesus, uh, when he was walking the earth years later, he was 
Um, you remember the story where he, he was with his friends, the disciples, and they were, uh, his disciples were out on a boat, and it was kind of stormy, and they were professional fishermen. They knew the water, you know, and so they're cranking, trying to get through the storm, and then they're like, it's, it's, not, it's not going well, whatever. They're just, they're just hustling, and then Jesus comes out and walks on water in Mark chapter 6. Jesus comes out like walking to them on the water, and this is the same Jesus that these guys had been with, had seen do miracles and all these kind of things. This same Jesus, he comes out walking on water, and they see him, and they just scream, oh, oh, no, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. That's what it says. They scream out, it's a ghost. All cool points are gone, by the way, by that point. If you're, if you're with a bunch of your dudes, and you're screaming, it's a ghost, like any sort of like manliness you had is out of the, is gone. So Jesus is out there, and he's walking on water. They're screaming, it's a ghost, you know. What's Jesus' words to them? Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. It's me. And what they hear in the middle of that is the voice of the, fam the familiar voice of the one they had been with in the past. They could hear his voice. Not at the end of the storm. Jesus didn't get out there and be like, hey, keep rowing, baby. Like, don't give up. Like, he didn't get out there and coach him. He didn't like, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't trying to like coach him. Like, get to the end. I'm going to be so happy with you once you make it through this. That's not what he said. He also didn't say, you shouldn't have gotten in the boat. You, should, I thought, you shouldn't have gotten in the boat. Turn back around. Go back. You shouldn't have gotten in the boat. That's not what he said at all. He said, in the middle of the storm, don't be afraid. It's me. I love to think of, like, what was Jesus' demeanor when he was saying that? Like, what, what was his demeanor? I mean, basically, he's standing on the water, right, that he had walked out to. And these guys are struggling, and they see him, and he's just like, don't be afraid. It's me. I can imagine a little bit of even delight, a little bit of laughter in him uh, that he would say that. Just like, it's me. Don't be afraid. I've got you. God is faithful, not at the beginning or at the end, but God is faithful in the middle of the storm. Right in the middle. You might be in a move or a change in your life right now. You know, and you might, and you might be thinking to yourself, wow, um, this, where is God? He must be really testing me right now to see how I perform. He wants me to do this. I'm going to just strap up the boots and I'm just going to go do it. I'm going to, I'm going to perform well. For, and he's going to be pleased with me at the end. That's not the voice of God. In the middle, where you are is, don't be afraid. I'm here. I am here. Trust me. Trust that I'm good. Even though it might be hard to see me and the chaos, the storm might be going on around you. I'm here in the middle. Hear my voice. Trust me. God's in the middle of the storm, not just at the beginning and the end. That's where he meets us. Incredible. Um, all right, here we go. Genesis chapter 46, Bible closed. I'm going to get back there quickly. There we go. Uh, verse, verses um, 5 through 27. Now, here we go. You might be thinking, this is a chunk, and somehow we're getting to... Uh, Chapter 47, verse 12 here by the end. Um, but 5 through 27, um, what, he, what it does is it tells the story um, of Jacob's journey. It talks about like what he, he, him packing up the family and who all he took with him. Let's look at chapter 5 real quick. Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, their wives, in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and 
his sons, daughters, and all his offspring he brought with him to Egypt. <sighs> that makes me anxious. Can you imagine making that journey with all of those people? I don't know. You know, the, the holidays are upon us here. And uh, you're, you're probably going to be making a journey to go see family or to go do something. The Sloan family's going to do it. At Christmas, we're heading back to Columbia for four longish days in Columbia. Glad to see the family, you know. Well, for us to go to Columbia for four days over Christmas, like Leslie and I have already had a conversation about like how we're going to do that, which is a miracle in and of itself that we've already spoken about Christmas, by the way, in my family. But we've already spoken about it. And like, how, how are we going to, how are we going to maneuver everybody and get everybody down there? Everybody. Me, Leslie, both kids. What are we going to do with the dogs? I mean, we're under it, right? To get down for Christmas for four days. I'm sweaty right now talking to you about going to Christmas for four days. Can you imagine? Jacob was moving everything and everyone that he loved and was moving it to another place, was moving to Egypt. Columbia is 150 miles from here. Egypt, about 200 or so miles from Canaan. He was moving everybody, and I'm worried about packing the car. And he was like, dang, we got a chariot, right? You know, some people are sending some chariots. So he was like, I got a chariot and some other, I got some donkeys we can ride. It's going to be great. He's got to move everybody, 70 people in all, and the livestock moving it all down to Egypt. Can you imagine the logistics that it took to pull that off? And it was on him as the head of the Can you imagine what it took for him to pull that off? Can you imagine how he was feeling? The chaos was coming. Change doesn't always feel good. It doesn't always feel good. The reason the scripture took the time to list, it goes on, by the way, to list every single person that went with him. I'm not going to take time to do that today. I always used to wonder why why would the Bible list all those names? Is that to make me feel super guilty that I don't want to read those names? But no, there's a better reason for that. There's a better reason for that. The reason is, is because he wanted you to know, listen to the names of the people that Jacob loved that he moved. Every one of those people takes attention and care. Every one of them has stuff going on inside of them because they're all moving too. So he's not only moving himself, but like all of them are moving as well. And they're all, the change is affecting them the same way. They're moving their lives as well. Change is not easy. Um, change is not easy. You know, there, there is an um, expression I've kind of heard and lived before, which is, hey, if this is difficult, like if something's going on in my life, and I say, if this is difficult, I must not, I must not be doing it the right way. Like this feels, this feels difficult. Say, oh, God would want me, God would want me for this not to feel difficult. God, God must want, would want this to be easy. It's almost like this is the best way I can say it, is um, if things aren't good and chill, then it must not be God's will. Thank you, that rhymes. <laughs> but it's, if things, that there's something, isn't there something in us? I know there's something in me. I know there's something definitely in the younger generation but I would venture to say it's probably an older generation as well, where it's like if things aren't restful, peaceful, chill, if they don't feel that way, then if they're chaotic, if they're crazy, if they just seem loose, 
that it must not, I must not be in God's will. I must be doing something wrong. That's not true. That is a lie. We can tell ourselves that, and it looks good on paper, but the truth of the matter is life is messy, and things get messy. And when you move or when you attack, accept that change is coming, things get messy. They're just messy, and they are difficult. That's it. So all these families moving down there, and it is difficult. Jacob's looking back to Beersheba during all of that. You said you were good. I've had 70 people in donkeys and chariots going to this new place. But without risk, if we don't take risk and engage the change, there's no opportunity for our trust in God's faithfulness to grow. If we don't engage at the changes there, then we have no opportunity for the trust in God's faithfulness to grow. It's kind of like this, the roots Uh, The roots grow deepest when conditions are the worst. The roots of our trust and God's faithfulness grow deepest when conditions are the worst, not when they're the best. It's when they're the worst. It's when our faith in his faithfulness grows deeper. Leslie and I got to go to France, which is crazy, in 2011. And we we went there to follow the Tour de France, follow a couple stages, I know, which is nuts. It's like NASCAR on bikes. But... We went, there, we went there to see a couple stages of that, and we got to go on this sweet once-in-a-lifetime vacation. But while we were there, we decided we'd go ahead and take a tour um, of some of the vineyards that were there, the wineries. So we were taking this tour in, in uh, the Rhone Valley. We went to all these, a couple of these different vineyards. And the most fascinating thing about touring those vineyards to me was finding out, like, what makes that wine so special? What makes the grapes so special that they grow in that region? And this is what we found out. I'll tell you, by the way, a lot more about this afterwards if you want, because this is super interesting. But what makes, what gives each grape on this hill, what makes them different from the grapes on the other hill, thus another vineyard, another type of wine, what makes them unique, what gives them their flavor is the type of soil that they're planted in. See, they're all planted. It's this horrible, rocky soil that these grapes are planted. Like, you wouldn't even believe it. You think lush. No, it's this rocky soil and what gives the grapes their flavor is how they stretch deep down into the soil to pull the soil that they're stretching down into gives them their flavor and every every hill is different and they pull different nutrients it's the stress in their lives that brings flavor to the grape i'm one of those that looks for comfort looks for easy but the truth of the matter is the, sometimes the stress in our lives though it's difficult A lot of times that makes our roots grow deeper and deeper into knowing God and deeper into trusting him. And you start to know him and you are your own vine. You know him differently than anyone else does because of what's going on in your life. The flavor in your life comes from the depth that your roots are growing into his faithfulness, which is the only source of life. I thought that was fascinating about the grapes over there. But the roots grow deepest when the conditions are the worst. Don't, we can't run away just because things are difficult. God is there in the middle of the storm. All right, we're going to keep going here. We're going to skip over all the way down to uh, chapter 46, verse 28 uh, through 30. Once I found it, there it is. All right, so they had moved, they, they had moved down there and they had gotten down to the land and it says this. Jacob had sent Judah ahead of him uh, ahead of him to Joseph to show the way 
before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot, and he went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck, and he wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Beautiful picture right here. It's a beautiful picture. They haven't seen each other. Jacob, Jacob thought Joseph was dead. This is the reunited. This is when they're back together again. It's what he couldn't even believe was real. This long journey with his family, and they had gotten there. And all the while in his mind was, I'm going to see Joseph, or am I going to see Joseph like they said, or have I been tricked, or what he didn't know. Within the moment came to be reunited uh, with Joseph, and here it is. And Joseph came up to him and wept on his neck. And he said, Jacob said the words, uh, my Bible closed, but Jacob, Jacob said the words, um, I, know, I, I know you're alive. I'm convinced. I know you're alive. I can die now. I think Jacob's heart for his son right here shows us God's heart for us, for his children. The delight of, Joseph's, of Jacob's heart was that he got to see Joseph again. And he was like, this is it. This is the greatest. It feels full. God has come through. God was faithful. Look at this. I've, what, what more can I ask for is basically what he was saying. I'm ready to die. What more can I ask for? You know, in young life, uh, working with high school kids, middle school kids, whatever, um, I know a lot of the kids that I talk to that I know that I hang out with basically um, have hard relationships with their parents and it's not like it's like oh that's a troubled kid or anything like that no almost every kid that I know has a hard time with their parents has a difficult some have very difficult relationships but almost everyone and almost every parent that I know has a hard time with their kid <laughs> the truth is Almost every parent that I know also has a hard time with their parents. Family's tough. Family is tough. Relationships get very hard. And in the middle of that, you lose. It's easy just to lose sight of how you actually feel. Toward each other. The chaos of the move, the chaos of change somehow makes us start believing lies about each other and forgetting that we have grace, that we have forgiveness, that we have desire for restored relationship. But Jacob shows us God's heart for us. And I'll say this, it shows maybe me, my heart for my children again. It shows me my parents' heart for me again, that the greatest joy is a restored relationship, because a restored relationship delights God's heart. You know, Jacob went a long way, Jacob went a long way to get to Joseph, packed up everything, moved everything to go get face-to-face -face with him. God's heart is the same for me and you. God came a long way. God came a long way to get face-to-face -face with me and you.
He stepped down from heaven and became like one of us as Jesus. And he walked the earth to get face to face with me and you. That's God's heart for us. He wants to be face to face. He wants you to know that he knows you in a face to face way. And that his heart, his greatest desire is to have a restored relationship with you. So much so that not only did Jesus come here and live, but he also died and was killed on a cross to pay the penalty for the broken relationship that we deserve. Somewhere along the lines, we decided that we were, we were good to be in charge of our own lives and sit on the throne of our own hearts. And we've made a mess of it. We're not designed to sit on the throne of our own hearts. He is. So I can't deny the fact that somewhere along the lines, along the line, I've come in and sat down at the throne of my own heart, and it's taken power. It has power over me, and that's sin. And Jesus died on the cross to do away with the power that sin had over my heart so that I could have a restored relationship, so that you could have a restored relationship with him. He did what only he could do. That is his heart for you and for me. He's done everything. He has come all the way, all the way into our lives and taken care of what we deserve so that you and him, me and him, could have a restored relationship. That's what Jesus did, does. That's what he is all about. That Jacob shows us and Jesus shows us that is God's heart for me and you. Now, you may have never thought of that before. You might be thinking, really? That, that Jesus came all the way here to pay this penalty of me running my own life to, so that I don't have to be separated forever? Like, that's, that's new. And I would say, if that's something that you're like, hey, I kind of like that. Like, that, that rings true to me. If something about you kind of lifts when you hear about God's love for you and you want to talk more about a restored relationship with your father, there will be folks kind of hanging out in the back after this if you want to talk about that. Because that's the whole deal with Christendom, Christendom, is that our whole identity, the whole identity as folks that follow Jesus is based off of his faithfulness to us. It's based off of his work on behalf of us. That is our identities. It's not our righteousness. It's not how we look. It's not how we perform. It's not how clean we think we are. It has nothing to do with our performance. God's love for you has to do with this, God's love for you. It's a relationship based off of his faithfulness and his love. That is his heart for you. That is his heart for me. And that's the only place that there is any rest in my life is that my performance gives me zero rest. It just gives me, it gives me zero rest. You're sitting here today by coincidence, by something you've done, or by God's faithfulness. If it's by coincidence, then who cares? Go do whatever and nothing matters. If it's something you've done by your own strength, you've gotten yourself here, the pressure's still on. When you leave here, the pressure's still on for you to make you. What are you gonna do? The pressure's on. But if somehow you're here because of the faithfulness of God in your life, then you leave here 
restful. You leave here trusting in his goodness. You may not have thought of that before, but like his, he's the one who has sustained you. He is the root. The faithfulness of God is the root in our lives. He is after you. He sustains you. And he has great life for you, even in the middle of change. Okay. Um, the next section, um, uh, the, the next part of the scripture after this, uh, chapter 46, 31 through 47, 6, I'm going to paraphrase that for you. Um, basically, basically, Joseph says to them, hey, I'm going to, after they've gotten to the land, he says, hey, I'm going to present you uh, to Pharaoh here. And when you get there, I want you to say you're shepherds. Okay, like I want you to say you're shepherds because Egyptians think shepherds are like nothing. And so you won't be intimidating to them at all. When you do that, just tell them you're shepherds, right? And then Joseph chose, I love this part, he chose five of his brothers. Like, yeah, you five, you come with. I think that you'll actually say what I want. So he chose five of his brothers to come with him and stand, stand before Pharaoh um, and, and say that, and tell him that he was shepherds, that they were shepherds. Um, and that's what they did. Um, and so we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to pick back up. Um, oh, and so what Pharaoh's response to them was that uh, he put them in charge not only of their lifestyle and said, y'all can go be shepherds, but he was like, hey, if you're any good at being shepherds, I got some livestock I need you to take care of. <laughs> so he just kind of gave them his livestock. Like, yeah, you're kind of, I don't want to do that. They're sheep, they're livestock. I don't want to do that. So he was like, hey, if y'all, any of y'all are any good at being the, doing the shepherd thing? Why don't you go ahead and take this off my plate? I'll give you all this too, which is crazy and unexpected uh, for them. But then what happens next, I think, is incredible. Chapter 47, verses 7 through 10. Here we go. After that, Joseph brought in Jacob, his father. And he stood in before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many of the days of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days and the, the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days and the years of my life. And they have not attained to the years, to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and he went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Jacob, right here, after going on this journey, ministered to Pharaoh. He had an opportunity to speak of the God that he loved to Pharaoh. See, what Jacob shows us right here is that ministry isn't just a missions trip, but is a God-dependent life. Mission trips are great, great, needed. But our life with God is not just something we put into a box and go do at a certain time and then don't do at a certain time. But ministry if we want to minister, if we, those followers of, followers of Jesus, want to minister to others in hope that don't know him, then it's more about our God-dependent lifestyle than it is when we're just doing a missions thing. It's your life. It is all of you. It is all of me. So the question I have to ask myself as a follower of Jesus is, am I living a God-dependent life? Am I in a place in my life where I'm leaning on myself or leaning on him. Because if I'm really leaning on him, I know people kind of say that all the time, but if I'm really leaning on him, if I need him, then I'm going to trust him. So when somebody asks me what fires me up or what, why are you who you are, I'm going to say only him. So see, the difficult places, the places where you're having to lean, 
are not the places to avoid. We are not called to independence. We're called to dependence on him. Always be leaning. Always be in. Some people say, hey, to be a Christian, you go pour your life out to other people, right? You take the love of God and you go pour it out to other people. Yes and no. I think the picture I like is this. Say you have a, a saucer and a cup and God is pouring himself into you. And you're sitting there just going, this is God's faithfulness. Like he is good. And we just keep drinking him up. And what happens is as he pours into us, it overflows out of the cup into the saucer where people can drink from that. We minister out of the overflow, the overflow of God in our lives. We're so full of him that others want to drink from him. They're looking going, man, you're like messy with goodness. It's falling all out of you. What do you have? And give me some of that. That's kind of what we want to happen as we minister to people around. We want to be, but we want to be full, not just of smiles and happy and life is easy, because it's not. But what we want to be full of as followers of Jesus is the faithfulness of God. We trust, we trust that he is good. And if you ask us who he is, we're going to be ready to tell you without wavering, because he is good. We do not trust in ourselves. We trust in him. Out of the overflow of the cup. <clears throat> I'd be willing to bet there are things going on in your life, lives and my life, life right now that are unsettling and that have shaken you up. Right now, like today. Some of those things are easy. Some of those things are obvious. I mean, it's right there. Some are not so obvious. We've kind of hidden them beneath the surface. Maybe we're just not even paying attention to them because they're too difficult for us to face. I think it's good for us to remember this, that God, this will give you strength to face it. God is in the move, that God is on the move in your life and in my life, and that he is faithful what would happen if you dared to trust him? What would happen if you dared to let go and trust, trust in his faithfulness in the middle of the change? Remember his, his voice. Do not be afraid. I've called you by name, and you are mine. 